under the shadow of Holly Queer, founder of Mosellum Springs Golf Club. I sit with co-founder John Gunther. John, I'm sitting on a historic piece of golf property with a historic golf figure. It's pretty good to be with you and to get a little bit of the first person perspective of what's behind the Mosellum Spring story, a story that I think is worth preserving in golf history and you were here from the very beginning. That's true. Yeah. 27 years old at the time this course was being built in 1964, already an accomplished amateur golfer, went on to win the Pennsylvania Amateur Championship, Pennsylvania Open, Pennsylvania Senior Amateur Championship, it's a pretty good trifecta, and also played in a pretty interesting U.S. Open, 1962. What was the name of that guy who won it? I th and I'm happy to say it was Jack Nicklaus, and he was a friend of mine. Oh, how about that? Some guy by the name of Jack Nicklaus won, defeated a, some other pretty famous Pennsylvanian. Another friend of mine. Arnold God Palmer. Yeah, Arnold Palmer. That um, was a famous one, and in that particular U.S. Open, John finished as the third highest amateur in that pretty historic Open. But tell me what it was like in these opening days when you and Holly Queer sort of got the idea to put a golf course on this piece of property and you brought another very famous person up here to do it, George Fazio. Well, as the story goes, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's true, Holly would vacation his summer home, if you want to call it, from Reading to here back in those days. He was down here and he was in the stream. He would go there on hot, very hot days and it was his, and he one time popped up and looked around and thought this would be a great place to build a golf course. Well, he was a good player. He won the But he wasn't a golfer by profession. He was a newspaper man. That's correct. Right? But the family, the Holly's sister was a great player, very much involved with the US ladies USGA. She was a captain of the Curtis Cup team. Yeah, I we have a of picture of her right over our shoulder right here. Oh good. Hi Edith. <laughs> so uh Anyway, he, he, we were sitting at the Berkshire Country Club where we both belonged then before this, and everybody had left. The, the ground superintendent was going to open the course to play, and it took longer than most of the people would wait. It's a weekday, and it was end up it was just he and I. I was just going to go practice and hit extra shots, and he he was going to go on his way. I don't know that we'd ever played together. I knew of him, and then of course the conversation waiting he mentioned this great farm that he had up here and that he had one of his big dreams was to have a golf course built on it. <laughs> and I said, now I've had just had the best season out, well, I will ever have, won just about everything in Pennsylvania that, that you can win. And teams, the, the Berkshire team won everything also. And I said, well, if you ever decide to do it and you're looking for somebody like me, let me know. Okay, so the next day I get a phone call at the office, family business, and he 
wants to know if I was serious that I was. I said, absolutely. He said, can you come down to the office? So I went down to his office, and we talked for a little while, and I made it clear that I don't know anything about design and construction. I've never managed a club, but I'll give it 100% of my attention, and I won't let my golf playing interfere with my job. So let's jump forward a little bit. Now it's time to find somebody to build it. How did you wind up with George Fazio? Well, we had three or four, maybe five names of, of builders, designers, that we were con considering. Now, we put out, sent out some messages, not the way you can today, but got the word out that they, we were looking to build a golf course. Are you interested? Faz was, of course, one of them. And frankly, when I picked George, I thought to myself, Mr. Queer has trusted me with this job, and I don't have any background in it other than to play golf, which helped quite a bit, I must admit. Uh, here's, a, here's a golf course designer who has a great reputation as a player and is just getting in the business of designing and building golf courses. So I, I wasn't letting that hold him back from getting the job because he didn't have a big resume like the others that we contacted. But there was one big thing different with George Fazio than all of the others. Nobody else was a PGA Tour player. That's true. He was the first PGA Tour player to design courses. True. And that brought a different element into it right away. Well, it sure did because, it, well, first of all, one of all these concerns around the Reading area for so long was there was no really good, great type of golf course. They were all built in the early 1900s, I guess, I don't know. And they were nice, some of them were pretty nice golf courses, but they didn't meet the standards of the golf courses of, in the 60s, for example. So when you had your first conversations with George Fazio, was there any talk about making this a championship course? And by that I mean a course that could actually host the championship. I would say there was the conversation there wasn't a whole lot of conversation with, with, with Mr. Queer. Uh, he made it pretty clear early on that he wanted something really nice. He felt, and he was right, that this particular terrain, the farm that he had, wasn't just a lot of flat ground like in the, the desert. And it had so many natural features to it that a golf course, a great golf course could be built on it. And I think Fazio said along the way that he has never seen a better piece of land to build a good golf course on. I don't know that I should be quoting him, that's not verbatim. Well, his, his nephew, Tom Fazio, who has become, in my opinion, humble opinion, the top golf course architect in the world, uh, was just a young kid working on the tractor at that time. That's right. But he said at that time, this was a piece of natural property that every golf course architect dreamed about working on. And he did it at an early age for his Uncle George, and it certainly turned out that way. They didn't move a lot of dirt, they hardly moved any. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great experience. Fazio was here much more often than most architects are at the site. And, uh, we had our moments when we wanted to change things and we talked about it and if ever 
since I was representing Mr. Queer, if I saw something I didn't like and George was reluctant to change it, we had an understanding right off the bat that the two of us would go sell our pitch, make our pitch to Holly, and he would make the decision. After all, he had all the money in it and he had the land and the vision. He should make those kind of decisions. And he was a good, he was the first county amateur champion in, in Berks County here. So he, he and the family were in the golf already, in one way or another. And we never had that meeting. We never had to go, George and I were, we were always able to work out, and there weren't that many differences. I don't, don't want to make it sound, heck, he was the architect. I was just the representative for Holy, and I, there's only so far you can stick your nose into somebody else's business, especially George. Exactly, exactly. He was, uh, he was quite a character, there is no question Great about character. it. I, long, I knew him later in life, but boy, he was really something. So let's move a little forward. 1964, the course opens, and I'm sure, especially with George involved, there was a bit of notoriety involved with the course already. And then, in a short amount of time, a record short amount of time, all of a sudden the USGA was involved and talking about a national championship here. That's correct. Uh, Joe Dye, who was then the executive director of the USGA, uh, came down here one after one morning, and he and I walked the course, unfortunately, in the rain. And when we were all done, he, he was taking notes and whatever they do to see if the course meets their needs. And he said it when we, when we came in, he sat down with Holly and with the, I guess the golf pro was there too and myself. He said, this course can take a, a USGA national event. You don't have to change a thing. Amazing. That is, that is beyond amazing. So in the shortest amount of time between the creation of a golf course and the first day of an event, Moselle Springs got to host the 1968 U.S. Women's Open Championship, and it showed off pretty well, as a matter of fact, really well. It's interesting you use those terms because I think it was the first USGA National Championship that was televised. Well, I'm sure they got an eyeful. The viewers certainly did because this is a picturesque piece of property. And if that wasn't enough, they got an eyeful out of a young lady. That absolutely tore up the competition then her name Susie Maxwell Burning. Correct. Now in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And she won the first of two U.S. Open Women's Championships right here. That's correct. Do you remember much about that, John? Well, I have some memories for sure. <clears throat> I didn't, we didn't know, of course, until it was almost over who was going to be the winner. But watching the girls play this golf course, they didn't tear, nobody's ever really torn this golf course <laughs> apart. There's have been a couple of really good rounds, but they must have been when the greens were slowed down or something. Uh, perfectly fair, it's all in front of you. There isn't a crazy shot on the golf course. And it, it was so much going on at that time. I only remember, I remember Mickey Wright hitting some unbelievably long drives. She was, of course, I guess probably really the best player at that particular time. Yeah. 
but the best player doesn't win them all. Nobody doesn't. You don't win them all in this game. Uh, credits galore. They were so happy. The newspapers were full of all the comment, not all, but many of the comments of the girls. They want to come back. Can we put this on our tour schedule? That kind of thing. And it was, needless to say, it was happy for my ears to hear. Everybody was happy. Even the losers were happy, which is sort of strange. Of course, it was in great condition. Well, it certainly was the crowning glory of Mazone Springs all through the years. Uh, another championship was not held here, but not because the USGA didn't want to come back. They did many times. It just didn't fit with the philosophy of ownership, I guess. Uh, I think that's probably a, a, one of the reasons. I think another was that as much as excitement as we had with the Women's Open, we're 50 miles plus or minus from Philadelphia, and people don't at that time didn't travel 50 miles to watch the girls play, frankly. So we didn't have huge crowds. They were, it was great, but probably pretty big given their, what they would normally expect. And I think that has as much to do with it for the ladies' side of USGA. They had to get and could get, and more and more good golf courses were being built. It was pretty, pretty lot of, pretty many golf courses from 1960 on up to even now, even in the, these terrible times. The evolution of Moselle Springs through the years has been a slow, gradual evolution, but always changing a little bit. And we've seen, even to recent years, some renovations on the golf course. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be, John? Never static? I think uh, <coughs> golf courses in particular, I'm not so sure about other sports, how you know that is the same. But even right after you build a golf course and you are very, very happy with it, you start trying to think of things you can do to make it better. And there were changes over the years, and none of them radical, because it was such a great golf course to start with. I mean, it was, I think it was rated, I'm sure it was rated in the top 100 golf courses in the country, I believe by Golf Digest early on. And uh, that didn't hurt us in getting, maybe that's what caught the eye of uh, the USGA. We don't know, but they, they came here. We didn't change anything, just the tee markers. It was great. The national recognition was definitely there from the beginning and has continued over the years. I mean, you hear uh, in the tone of people's voices, you see it in the reflection in their faces when you mention Mozellum Springs and right away it's like, oh, I love that place and it's good to see. You've loved it from the beginning. I'm going to ask you the tough question now. Are there any particular holes that you really love the most? The 19th hole. Oh. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. You know, you know, I'm pretty good there. I used to be very good there. <laughs> then I got married, and she said none of that, and that was fine with me. I'm, I'm alive today. That, well, that's a good one. That's a good but, one. Uh, if I were to pick the most favorite hole in the course, not the one I played the best, that's for sure or the least worst, because I struggle with this golf course like everybody else. I think the 10th hole is the best hole in the golf course. Uh, and maybe I have selfish motives for that, because I, George and I, we made a major change on that hole, the way he was going to build it. Really? 
Tell us about that. Uh, the hole today has a, a drainage and spring going down the left side of the fairway. Cuts in front of the green, comes down the left side of the fairway, and then cuts in front of the tee. Well, I came up here one, and I was here before anybody started, every day that we built this golf course. I mean, it's all I wanted to get done and get it done right. So that wasn't, that wasn't work for me. It was, I was happy to be there. And one day I showed up, and there was a, a tractor trailer parked out in the back, and he had a load of pipe on it. Not, not irrigation pipe, but uh, con uh, irrigation, uh, uh, irrigated pipe, if you know what I mean. And I went over to him and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm waiting for somebody to get here so I can unload this. I said, we didn't order any pipe. Well, I didn't think we ordered any pipe. He said, oh, yeah. So the, the superintendent showed up finally. Not finally. He was there on time. And I asked him about it. He said, yeah, we're going to. That drainage, that spring that comes fed creek, I guess, uh, we're going we're gonna to cover it. We're going to put pipe down there. and." Eliminated. Well, I couldn't believe my ears, but that's what I heard. And I said, well, don't unload the pipe. But I said to the superintendent, whose name escapes me now, I said, you better get a hold of George. We are going to have a problem. He did pretty soon, pretty quickly. Got in the phone. The actual trail where that drainage came down before we went, as nature had it, was probably 30 feet to the right which would put it almost in the fairway. And George decided we'll just cover it. Yeah, that was a solution. And I said, why don't we just move it to the side? Divert it and, and make it part of the features exactly. of the golf course. Yeah. And, and you it, know. It, it made that whole, uh, I, I think if anybody plays this golf course and uh, you do a poll at the 18th green, I think the, first, the 10th hole will get an awful lot of, I think that's the best hole comments. Well, when you come out here to play Lozone Springs, folks, when you get to the 10th hole and you lose your ball in that stream there, John Gunther, that's who you curse. <laughs> He's the one who made sure that it was there all the way. Don't worry, you didn't hit the first ball in there. I did. So. <laughs> John, words of wisdom and words of entertainment from you. I love the stories. Uh, when we evolved the traveling golfer into a 20-part series. We'll be able to tell all of them and include them all in here, but in this short show, uh, you gave us so much about this course that we just never really could get from anyone else, and believe me, it's an important part of the story. May I add one? You can, absolutely. I don't know how many, <clears throat> very few people know this, but I was ready to turn pro in 1959, and I I didn't. I wanted to see how I'd play in the North and South Amateur. <clears throat> played in that many times. And I had a good game, but I didn't have the greatest of short games. At least I didn't think so. So I put off turning pro in 1959. But the main reason was at the North and South, I roomed with a guy whose father sent him down there, a teenager, who had never been to Pinehurst. He was entered in the North and South. And could somebody, he asked the hotel manager, the, the father, is there somebody he could be paired up with for the week of practice that we were going to be there ahead of? And I got the call from the, the hotel manager. I joined, we, we practiced and played two rounds a day for the seven days before the tournament. 
we both qualified in opposite halves. We both kept winning. I got the quarterfinals. He, we did. And if we'd have won each of us won our next two matches, we'd have been playing each other in the finals, which was sort of neat. Well, I got beaten in the quarterfinals by the guy he beat in the finals, and he was the first player to win that tournament in his rookie year. I couldn't beat the guy in all that practice, and I'm going to turn pro. So I put it off another year. And during that other year, that was 1960. And of course, then I had the year I had. And had I turned pro, I would not, in 59, I would have been playing at all those amateur events. Yeah, right. And if I hadn't, how's this go? I don't, I'm getting a little confused here. If, well, to make a long story short, that rookie golfer who nobody knew of, I figured there could be another 50 of them that aren't turning pro yet, and there's no money on the tour anyway, so I better look for another way to make a living at golf. So I didn't turn pro, and that guy just happened to be, he was not in, a, in the class of 50 or something. He was Jack Nicklaus. So there you go, your first So your the first reason Ms. Sillum is here yeah. today yeah. is because I didn't turn pro. In the end of the 60 season, my best season, Holly Queer, he didn't have to talk me into it. I, I didn't think the tour was a, for me, I was a, had a young family. I played the tour when I got, just before I got out of the Army, four years, four tournaments. Hated the travel, that was that crap. And so if it hadn't been for Jack Nicholas, there would not be any Silver Springs. The other way around, had you met George Fazio earlier, Maybe he would have worked on your short game. He was one of the greatest short game players ever. And uh, who knows, maybe he could have turned you around. But instead, we have Lazone Springs here right now. And we I have no regrets. And we can thank John Gunther and George Fazio and Holly Queer for it. There you go. John, thanks a million. Thank you, sir. My pleasure.